Well, it was dark and disturbing days had descended upon the nation of Israel. The reality was they were all self-inflicted wounds, self-inflicted wounds because Israel had violated their covenant arrangement with God. They were in a contract, even deeper than that, a covenant with the living God that they, that he made with them through Moses at Mount Sinai. And they agreed to it. They said, yes, we will do it. And, and as the centuries rolled on, they severely violated that covenant. And the era we're going to jump into this morning is an era that says very loudly, you will reap what you what? Sow. You will reap what you sow. The kingdom is now divided. The twelve tribes are no longer one nation under God. They are divided. And God's judgment has fallen upon His chosen people. It really started in, in, in the greatest degree with Solomon and all of his sins at the end of his life. He did not finish well. He did not hit the finish line running at all. It's very puzzling to me how deep into idolatry Solomon went. But God said to Solomon, for the sake of his father David, he would withhold his punishment until Solomon had died and future generations had come. And now that day has come. The northern ten tribes, as you remember, broke away from the southern two tribes. They became known as Israel and the southern two, Judah. They chose their own capital, Samaria. They set up their own system of worship, their own priests. And what ensued were centuries of chaos, centuries of idolatry and unmitigated evil committed by people who knew better. What ensued was civil war, even in American history. That seems to be the darkest era of American history when brother fought against brother. In what we call our civil war. Where Israel had one as well. And an often overlooked detail in this story. Is the northern ten tribes almost split again. They were right on the cusp of yet another split. Until Omri prevailed over Tibni. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 16. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16. And we just kind of jump right into this swamp. Picking it up in verse 25. I want to give you a feel for the days in which we are looking. Verse 25, 1 Kings 16. Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sins, which he made Israel sin. This is a common refrain, that phrase right there throughout these books. Provoking the Lord God of Israel with their idols. Drop down to verse 28. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, became king in his place. Here's his legacy. Verse 29, now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Verse 30, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. 
It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and he, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And it is onto this scene, beloved, bursts seemingly out of nowhere a hairy man, a, a rugged individualist. His name was Elijah. El-I-Yah. Yahweh is my God. That's what his name meant. Yahweh is my God. He is mentioned about a hundred times in our Bible. The prophet Elijah. He burst onto this scene. This scene of darkness. This scene of chaos. This scene of great evil. Out of nowhere. Chapter 17 verse 1. Our text for the day. Now Elijah the Tishbite who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah the Tishbite. This tells us that he was from Tishbeh. Or Tisbe. Tisbe was a village or a city in Naphtali, the region of Naphtali, the zone there in the northern area. Naphtali kind of is to the west of the Sea of Galilee, it has that entire region. But your translation may some, say something about Gilead because that's where he settled. Gilead was a rugged area on the other side of the Jordan River, to the west, more arid, more wilderness like. And so we have a man from Tisba in Naphtali, but now all of a sudden he is a settler in Gilead, which tells us that he migrated there. He is actually a war refugee. He's like today's Syrians who have been driven from their country because of what? Civil war. And so that's where Elijah finds himself. Most likely he has been displaced by the Aramean wars. As God has raised up a foreign nation to come against his sinful people. That's the previous chapters that we haven't looked at. And this man is displaced from his home. Displaced from his village. And finds himself now a settler of Gilead. And I want us to stop right there and just feel his circumstances for a moment. We've been displaced this morning, but hey, it's not that bad, is it? (laughs) Not at all. He was displaced. He was a refugee. We need to feel the circumstances of his life. He's driven from his home. He's not comfortable. Where's his next meal going to come from? In fact, there's so many things about Elijah we don't even know because the text doesn't even address it. How old is he at this point in his life when he goes before Ahab? Is he, when was he converted? When did he dedicate his life to serve the living God? We don't know. Is he married? Does he have children? Does he have a job? How does he take care of himself? We don't know anything. None of these details are relevant apparently. They're not relevant to the lesson of his life that he will teach us apparently, even though they're significant and they were certainly relevant to him. But the Bible's completely silent. Just out of nowhere arises a man of God 
to confront a wicked king? What we do know are the answers to these questions. Was his service to God convenient? Was it something that made him feel comfortable? Was it something that he would describe as easy? Will you be the judge? Look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, spoke to Ahab. We don't know how he got an audience with the king, but he's there. He is standing before the king. He is standing before the man with the most power in all of the land. And he is an evil man. He is a wicked man. His reputation precedes him. It would be nothing and no surprise to anyone for Ahab to have Elijah killed on the spot because that's his wife's hobby. Her hobby is killing prophets of God. He goes before this wicked man And he looks him in the eye and he says, as Yahweh, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. They're actually six months into this drought and it would last for three and a half years, three and a half years of no dew, no moisture, no rain in a climate almost identical to ours. Now, you know what it looks like around here after three and a half months. Three and a half years. This is not convenient service. This is not easy service. This is not comfortable service. His first sermon is the pronouncement of judgment on the land of Israel. And he's basically saying, King, it is your fault. It is your fault that this judgment has come. Now, you have to see that this takes great courage. This took guts. This took boldness. And my question to you is, can we learn from him? My question to you this morning is, wouldn't you like more boldness and more courage and more guts in your Christian life? (laughs) I, I don't know hardly a single Christian that wouldn't say yes to that question. I hear that from you all the time. I say it all the time. I would love to have more courage and more boldness for Christ. I think we can learn from this Tishbite. Certainly Elisha learned from him. Elisha was his servant. He's on the scene. He's not mentioned yet. He was Elijah's protege. He was his son in the faith. He was his disciple. He learned from him. He listened to Elijah. He learned. And later on, as we would continue to read, Elisha will say verbatim what Elijah says. What was their secret? What was their secret? I believe it was this, this little phrase. It is the title of my sermon, Before Whom I Stand. That was their secret. That's our text this morning. It is profound and yet easy to miss. It is simple and yet life-changing if you embrace it this morning. It is short and yet it was spoken Two times by Elijah and two times by Elisha. It's like Samson's hair. It was the secret to their strength. It was the secret, listen, to their fruitful and faithful service to God. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. That's what I want to inspire you with this morning. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be faithful. That may shock some of you. I want to be faithful and fruitful. 
I want to be fruitful and faithful. I think they go together. I think Paul felt this way. Paul said, oh God, I don't want to run in vain or labor in vain. He would write that often to his recipients. He didn't want to minister for nothing. Jesus prayed like this. Jesus talked about bearing fruit that remains. Jesus said, if you are abiding in the vine, you will have fruit. I think this is what God desires and designs. And I think these two men of God will show us today the secret to their success, how to have a fruitful and faithful service to God. And so here's your outline, three steps, three steps to faithful, fruitful service. Step number one, you must know your place, know your place. That is the word before, before whom I stand. That is essential. This is the starting blocks. This is the starting point. We must know our privileged place. We stand before the Lord. Not above the Lord as his superior. He does not stand above the Lord. He stands before the Lord. And you stand before the Lord. Listen, the Lord does not stand before you. You stand before the Lord. This is critical. This is the starting point. Understanding your station in life, your privileged place before God. It's not beside God as his equal. This is a dictatorship. You understand that, right? Not a partnership. This thing we call Christianity. It's a dictatorship. We don't have rights. He has all the rights. You see, the way this works is it's Savior and saved. It's creator and created. It's master and slaves. That's how this works. We're not buddy-buddy with God. This is the living God before whom we stand The way this works is he's the king and I'm the subject. I'm the subject in his kingdom. So it's not above him as his superior, not beside him as his equal. And it's not under his foot either as a defeated enemy of God. That's important. You're not crushed into the ground under him because he has turned on you and crushed you as an enemy. Neither are you under his thumb as someone who wants to take all of the joy out of your life. No, it's before the Lord. It is before the Lord that we stand. We're not behind Him either. You know who was behind Him, in a sense? Adam. Adam was behind the Lord because Adam was running from the Lord and Adam was trying to hide from the Lord and that's not the status here either. Know your place. Your place is before the Lord. What does this mean? It means that we live our life in the presence of God. We are consciously aware of His presence, of His face looking upon our lives. This is what it means. I live in front of God. I live in the presence of God. It's not unlike even John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was With God, literally face to face with God. It's that sense of intimacy, that sense of I am His, He is mine, and I live in His presence. That is my place. That is my place. Back in the day, I was a big country music fan. 
uh, Alabama was one of my favorite groups. They had a huge hit. They had a lot of huge hits, but one of them was My Home's in Alabama. And it had a line that went like this. My home's in Alabama. No matter where, you know the rest of it, I lay my head. My home's in Alabama. No matter where, I lay my head. And this is written by musicians, right? Traveling all the time, all over the country, concert after concert. They don't even know what town they're in the next day. They're constantly on the road, hundreds of days of the year. And they write this song, no matter where I lay my head, my home's in Alabama. And that's, that's an illustration for us of the Christian life. No matter where I lay my head, my home is before the Lord. This is home base. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I belong. This is where I am safe. This is where I am who I am before the Lord. That's where I belong. So this is step one. You must live consciously before the Lord if you are to serve Him faithfully and fruitfully. I just can't say enough about this. This is so critical. You don't start if you don't start here. As the Lord lives before whom I stand. Step number two. Now that you've done step number one, now and only now are you ready for step number two. It is trust His power. Know your place. Trust His power. I want to give you all four of the statements. The first two are Elijah. The second two are Elisha. Here they are, word for word. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. As the Lord lives before whom I stand. Well, grammarians, who is the whom of our verse? Who is the whom? It is none other than Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the one who gave his personal name to Moses. This is my covenant keeping name. Who shall I say sent me? You tell them I am that I am sent you. Yahweh. That's the power here in the servant of God. That's the idea here in this statement. As he stands before Ahab and he says, As I am that I am, the God of Israel lives, not lived, not will lived, lives before whom I stand. You see, this is the, the servant tapping into the power of God, tapping into the authority of God. Who sent you here, Elijah? What what audacity, what, what boldness do you have to come in here and, and pronounce judgment on me, the king? I can have your head removed, he says, as the Lord lives. That's my authority and that's my power, King Ahab. Well, who is this Yahweh? This name refers to God in his eternality. I am that I am. I do not have a beginning and I do not have an end. That is the one before whom I stand. This is the self-existent God. Self-existent. Not plugged into any power source. He is the source. He is the energy of the whole universe. He exists within himself, for himself, by himself. He is not dependent on anything or anybody. He never relies on anything or anybody. He is the self-sufficient one. 
self-sufficient, self-made. He's not made, he's uncreated. He is the living and eternal God. This is the great I am, as the great I am lives before whom I stand. This is his personal God, a God who has no needs. The servant is nothing but need. Everything about us is, is one giant need, not this God. He has no needs. He lives. This is the one without limits, the one without a beginning, the one without an end. And he lives. I mean, this is incredible boldness, incredible faith. He is pronouncing to this king that it's not going to rain for years except by my word, he says. Listen, Elijah had no power to stop the rain. And Elisha had no power to cleanse leprosy and no power to raise the dead. But God did. God did. He did such amazing miracles through through these two men. This is one of the times in redemptive history where miracles are breaking loose left and right through Elijah and Elisha because God was the power behind them. So step number two is you must trust His power, not your own power, not your own strength, not your own anything. Ultimately, I told you guys in the school of theology, that's a very important word when you talk theology. Ultimately, God is our power for ministry. Not education, not preparation, not perspiration. Though he may use all three and probably will. Ultimately, God is the determiner of ministry results. Ultimately, God is our powerful protector. Not your gun, not your deadbolt, not your one a day vitamin, though he may use all three. Ultimately, God is our powerful provider, not the government, not your company, not your pension, not your work ethic, though he may use and has used all of those. God uses means. That doesn't mean we trust the means. We ultimately trust God and his power. Great example of this is David against Goliath. Little David, the little youngest, the seventh. He was an afterthought. He was watching the sheep. He had the lowest job. Everyone thought it would surely be somebody other than David, but lo and behold, he would be the king. His brothers are battling there on the front lines, and Goliath is taunting the children of Israel for 40 days, taunting them, taunting them. Mocking them, ridiculing them. Saul is shaking in his armor. Saul is not going to lift a finger to take on this giant. David shows up. David hears the taunt. And you're reading your Bible and you just go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Goliath's in trouble. Because David heard it. The text makes a point of that. And David goes up before him and he says to this giant, this teenage boy says to this giant, this grizzled, seasoned warrior, He says to him, you come at me with javelin and spear and sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the power of God. But he was also prepared. He had five smooth stones. That's a sign of humility in case I miss. (laughs) 
David's not putting his trust ultimately in himself. He's putting his trust in the Lord. He has a slingshot and five smooth stones. We must trust God's power for fruitful and faithful service and be prepared. Prepare like it's all up to you. Pray like it's all up to God. Well, you might be thinking right now, well, that's it. I've got it. I'm ready. I'm ready to be fruitful and I'm ready to be faithful. I know my place. It's before the Lord. I live my life in his presence and for his honor and glory. And now I just need to trust his power, lean on him and not myself. I'm ready. I'm ready to, I'm ready to be this fruitful servant. What, you might be thinking right now, what else, what else could there be? You may be even doubting right now that this sermon should have three points. You may be thinking right now, close the sermon, Pastor. It's done. You're done right now. Stop. Let's close in prayer. Well, I need to tell you there is a third step, a vital, final, essential step. These first two are preparing us for the third step. Without the third step, we're not going to be a faithful, fruitful servant. It is this third step that gets you off the couch, off the couch, and out the door. It is this third step that gets you off the sidelines and into the action. It is this third step that gets you out of the American dream and into gospel exploits. The third and final step is you must assume the right posture. You must assume the right posture. This is where we come in especially It's not enough to know your place. It's not enough to trust His power. Now you're going to put the reality of those two things into action. You're going to prove whether you actually are doing steps one and two with step three. Assume the right posture. What is the posture? Stand. Before whom I say it. Stand. What is the picture? The picture is someone ready for an assignment, right? In fact, some of your translations may just say, before whom I serve or as a servant of the Lord, because that's essentially the the gist of it. The picture here is someone submitted to God's authority who is eager, who is alert, who is standing ready on their feet for the next assignment, before whom I stand. On your feet, man. Get up. Get on your feet. Attention. Right? That's what we're talking about. It's ready for the assignment. Now look at this. It's before whom I stand, present tense. Not before whom I used to stand. Not before whom I stood one day in the past, back in the glory days, back when I served the Lord. Now I don't know why I'm still alive. Now I don't know why I'm still here. I can really remember when I used to stand ready for the next assignment. Can I encourage you today, if you're maybe a senior saint, that this is not past tense, this is present tense. And as long as you're alive, you can stand before your Lord ready for your next assignment. Seeking His face as to how He would have you serve Him for the rest of your life. Because you're still alive for a reason. It's not before whom I stood, and it's not before whom I will stand someday. Can I encourage you younger people, you younger Christians? This is not in the sweet by and by when I grow up, when I become an adult, when I get 
done with college, when I get married, when I have, then I'll serve the Lord. No, it's before whom I stand right now. You can serve the Lord right now, wherever you are in your life. God has assignments for all of his children. It's not before whom I lie on the hammock waiting for God to serve me. That's kind of the God of Joel Osteen. You know, I lie in the hammock, I ring my bell and ask God to come serve and make me great. That's not, that's not the picture here. This is one who's come before the sovereign as a servant of the sovereign and he's at attention and he's ready for his assignment. It is before whom I stand. It's also not before whom I cower in craven fear. That's no good either. You can't feel like you're just the scum of the earth. You're dirt. You're nothing. You're good for nothing. You're terrible. God might as well just take your life right now. That's not the posture either. It's not somebody that's balled up in a corner in craven fear and, and, and shirking responsibility. It's before, it's before him I stand upright as God made man, erect as God made man, ready to serve God. Ready to receive the Lord's instructions. Ready to trust His power. Ready to do His bidding. Ready to take His message. Ready to deliver His announcement. Ready to be a herald for the King. Now if you get this picture of the sovereign King who has servants that stand in His presence. Trusting in His power. Trusting in His name. And they're just lined up there, right? And what are they doing while they're standing? They're waiting. Sometimes this standing involves waiting. But let me tell you this. You're not going to wait for long. Not if you know your place and you trust His power and you're standing in the right posture. You're not going to wait for long because God's going to have an assignment for you real fast. Trust me on that. (laughs) He will. He will. It is Mother's Day, so let's uh, start with some application for our moms this morning. Happy Mother's Day. You wonderful mothers, thank you for your ministry to your children, your families. You are essential as this third step is essential. But can I just exhort you this morning, moms, you stand before the living God, not your kids. You answer to God, not your kids. You are are a servant of Yahweh. Listen, mom, you do not exist to serve your children. You don't. You exist to serve God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. You don't exist to serve your children. You exist to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. You don't exist to make your kids happy. You exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And then, guess what? Everybody's happy. God's happy. Another disciple. You're happy, your child's following Christ, and now your child has discovered the only way they can be happy is Jesus Christ. So moms, know your place, trust His power, and assume the right posture this day. Let me talk to you who are students here this morning for a few minutes, maybe in college, maybe you're home for Mother's Day and you're home from school, or maybe you're in high school and you're about to wrap up your senior year, maybe you're, maybe you're in elementary school. Let me talk to you students for a moment. Listen, how you talk to your teachers, what you put in text messages, how you Snapchat, how you do Instagram, these all reveal before whom you stand. These are windows into your heart and into your mind. 
They tell the world, who is your master? Who is your sovereign? Who is your king? And so does how you study and how you prepare and how you do homework and how you take tests and how you talk about your teachers and how you talk to your teachers and how you say no to peer pressure. All of these reveal before whom you stand who is the real Lord and master of your life. These are windows into that question. Let me talk to you who are going to get up and go to work in the morning. You employees and you employers. You full-time workers making a living for your family. Let me ask you, before whom do you stand? Before whom do you stand? Do you work as unto the Lord and not to men? Do you work with excellence, honesty, attention to detail, diligence, energy, creativity? Let me tell you something. Jesus did. God had Jesus work way longer than he had public ministry, right? I failed to mention earlier that Elijah, that man of God, would be a forerunner of John the Baptist, that great man of God. And Elisha would be a forerunner and foreshadow none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Time and time again, raising the dead, cleansing leprosy, and on it went. Christ, then, is the ultimate servant of God. Christ is our ultimate model, whether we're a student or a mom or an employee. Christ did not live as a man pleaser. Christ did not live to please himself. Neither should you as an employee. Don't live to try to make a great name for yourself. Try to live to make a great name for the Lord Jesus Christ through your vocation. Retiree. Don't think I was going to leave you out. (laughs) Retiree. Before whom do you stand? Before whom do you stand? Listen. don't, don't, Don't think that you are now your own boss. First of all, your wife is probably not. But you are not your own boss. Yahweh is. The living God is. You're just retired from a vocation. You're not retired from Yahweh. There is no retiring from Him. We are privileged to stand before Him our entire life and serve Him our entire life. Don't think for a minute you are your own boss. Your boss has never changed if you're a Christian. You're just transitioning from one form of service to another. Would that God would unleash the great army of retirees in America into a lost world. Would that God would do what He's doing in this church. Unleashing an army of energetic, talented, experienced, godly, spiritually gifted retirees to serve the church and to go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we should think about the baby boomer generation. That's how we should think about the demographics in America. We have thousands, millions of people who are freed up, who are still healthy enough, strong enough to go into the uttermost parts of the world. Why do we think we just need to send our kids? We can go into these places and serve the Lord. Now, let me ask this question. Is this idea of serving God and being a servant of God, is this true of everyone? Is this true of all people? Is it true of everyone here in this room right now? And I bet the answer is no, it's not. 
If you do not belong to Christ, you stand before Satan. Now, you may not believe that. You may not agree with that. You may not have ever thought of that. But there are two masters in this universe, God and Satan. And everyone, everyone, everyone serves one or the other. If you're not standing before the Lord, living your life in his presence, trusting his power and assuming the right posture, then the odds are very high that you're actually standing before Satan, that you're actually Satan's servant, Satan's minion, doing Satan's bidding. What might this look like? Well, it doesn't look like Osama bin Laden. It doesn't look like somebody that's out worshiping Satan openly. It doesn't look like somebody bowing down to an idol that they made like the Israelites did. What might this look like with a group like this of someone who really isn't a servant of God but is therefore a servant of Satan? It'll look like this. God is your hobby, not your life. That's what it'll look like. God is a convenient hobby that I tack on to my convenient moments, but He is not the driving force of my life. It might look like this. It's where you're more concerned about what people think about you than whether you are reconciled to a holy God. It might look like this. You negotiate with God. Hmm. You bargain with God. You say, God, if you will do blank, then I will do this for you. Listen, God does not negotiate with terrorists. God does not negotiate with rebels. God offers peace and forgiveness on His terms. Surrender. Unconditional surrender. Those are the terms by which God extends grace and forgiveness. He's not going to negotiate with you. It probably looks like this. Your service to God, if there is any service to God, is convenient, comfortable, and easy. Convenient, comfortable, and easy. I'm not sacrificing. I'm not stretched. I stay in my comfort zone. I'm never pushed beyond my own limits, my own power. It might look like that because there are a lot of lost people who outwardly serve the Lord. There are a lot of lost people who outwardly serve God. The world's full of them. They're just, they're just religious people. It ultimately looks like this. Sin is your master, not God. Romans 6. We're either slaves of God or we're slaves of sin. There's no middle ground. There's no middle territory. So for the person who is not in the spirit of Elijah, in the spirit of Elisha, who can say as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, the person who can't relate to that, can't say that, can't believe that, that person is actually serving Satan and that person is actually a slave to sin. Sin is still your master. And so you need to repent today. There's a way to change this. It's called repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. It's, it's getting a new master and finding the Savior for your sin-weary soul. It's looking at the words of these songs that we sung and meditating on them and seeing the gospel in them and, and being taken to the Bible through them and saying, this is what I need. I don't want to be a slave to sin any longer. 
Well, I think these two servants of God who foreshadowed servants of God, these two men show us a better way of life. They show us the way forward, how to be fruitful and how to be faithful. And I want both personally. And I'm going to call this the Elijah principle. The Elijah principle is before whom I stand. Say it with me. Before whom I stand. Again, before whom I stand. Step one, your privileged place is before the Lord. Step two, step out in faith and trust his power, not your own. He'll meet you there. And step three, maintain good posture. I, I kind of tilt like this. Maintain good posture, standing on your feet, awaiting orders for the next assignment. This is what God's servants ought to be doing all the time. We ought to be thinking all the time, Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? Finish that, what's next? That's how a servant thinks. Elijah did this until he was snatched away in a rapture of one. Ooh, what a model that is for us. Be faithful and fruitful until God might snatch us away as a church. Because he never died, right? He was taken up into heaven. Elijah, his protege, did this. There's a great story. God preserved Elijah's life because he had one more assignment for him. And when he completed that assignment, then Elisha died. But before then, before the Lord, before whom I stand. They teach us because they have a nature just like ours that we can do this too. Amen? You can be faithful and you can be fruitful. If you will know your place, trust his power, and assume the right posture. Father in heaven, may it be so. May you raise up and sustain an army of servants who will find their fulfillment in life in serving you through all the various means and stations and vocations and callings that you give your people. God, there is no higher calling, there is no higher privilege than to serve the King of the world and the King of the universe. And so inspire us today, propel us today, motivate us today. And for those who don't know Christ, may the lack of service in their life be the means you use to show them their condition. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.